Amen. That was a great hymn to kick off this sermon. Are we ready, friends? Well, um, all honesty out here, I am currently 12 days away from getting married, which is currently, thank you, thank you. That's not why I said it. Um, But that is the stage, if you've ever planned a wedding, that is the stage where if you ever see me just like kind of a little bit glazed over, I'm like counting people or thinking about like ribbons and the things that I still have to buy. And do I like need to get socks for the groomsmen or are they handling that on their own? Like it's just, it's a nightmare up here in my brain. So all that to say, um, here we go. We're going to preach this morning. So we are in the midst of a series on the healthy church, and here's where these topics came from, in case you've been looking up them and going, where, where did we get those topics? In the covenant denomination, they um, do these surveys of healthy missional churches, and they have found the 10 markers that healthy missional churches have. It's kind of like uh, the covenant's like secret recipe, right? The 10 things that churches need to have in order to be healthy and growing. And so we have picked six of them, and we are working through them as our series this fall, which is really fun and exciting um, because I get to do the one that is like dependent on all of the others. Like the one thing that if you don't have all of the other things, you there's no way you can have it. You cannot have compelling Christian community if you don't have a transforming walk with Jesus, if you don't have the centrality of the word of God, if you don't have intentional evangelism, if you don't have generous giving and living or heartfelt worship, you just can't have compelling Christian community. And it's interesting because I think what is really distinctive about this marker are the adjectives that go before community. We've all experienced community outside of the church, right? We have experienced neighborhood friendships, or when I was um, growing up, I was in Girl Scouts and marching band, all of these different types of things, you can find community out there in the world. But in order for a community to be really, really what God intended for community to be, I would argue that it has to be compelling and Christian. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about what that looks like. We're going to dive into it. And I picked um, this one to do. I kind of got to be like, hey, can I do that one? Um, I picked this one because without compelling Christian community, I would not be standing before you today. I um, started attending church when I was 15. Some of you guys know this about me. Um, I came to faith in a youth group, and if it wasn't for this community of believers that walked alongside of me in my young journey uh, as a Christian, and then into adulthood, and then into being single into my 30s, I constantly walked into churches as the only person that I knew. I had to figure out what it meant to have community to help me grow in my faith or else I would not have been here. And so this morning as we dive into this model from the early church, I just want us to remember that this is one of the things that we as a denomination have said, this is important. And we're also going to work from the assumption that in order for this to happen, compelling Christian community, we already have all of those other things that are up on the board. Can we like have that assumption together, friends. Like we already know there's a transforming walk with Jesus. There's all of these other things. 
And in order for compelling Christian community to happen, those are the things that we need, right? Let's pray before we kick off. Good and gracious God, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I pray that your spirit would flow in this room, God, and that we may hear these words, these familiar words from Acts in a new way. God, would you open our eyes to see and to hear what you have for us this morning. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen. These um, words from Acts may f- sound familiar, <clears throat> familiar to you. You may have heard this. When Luke wrote this description of the early church, I believe that he created the template for church for centuries. I believe that when he first penned these short verses, he created something that we needed to model after. He writes this section about the church and he defines what it means to have Christian community. And I would say it's Christian community in four easy-ish steps. Because it's not always easy, but it's easy-ish. So we're just diving straight in. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Those are the four things that we're going to talk through this morning and what that means. And when they use the word devoted themselves to, another translation of that Greek word is they persevered. They chose to do something that was countercultural to the world around them. Luke knew in the early, early beginning of the Christian church, he knew what Jesus had said to his disciples the night he died. He knew that the world was going to clash with what the followers of Christ needed to do. Jesus knew that. He gave them instructions. We're going to talk about that in a little while. But when Luke wrote these words in the book of Acts, and he uses the word devoted to or persevered, he knew already at that point that they were doing something that the world didn't really like that they were doing. And so he wrote down these instructions. They persevered to the apostles' teaching. So let's talk about the apostles' teaching. Here's something the early church had that we do not have. Apostles in the flesh walking alongside of them and continuing to do the ministry of Jesus. And when I say that, I mean the people who literally walked alongside of Jesus and saw Jesus after the resurrection, they had them there to tell them the stories of what happened. And they devoted themselves not only to their teaching, but to the scriptures and to all of the things they knew to be true about Jesus. They took these phrases, why we have the Bible now is because they devoted themselves to the things that Jesus talked about. They retold the stories. They walked through what Jesus' life was about, and they devoted themselves. They persevered in the teaching, growing in their understanding as they grew in their understanding of who Jesus was. This section of Scripture comes right after Pentecost, right after they had thousands of people join their movement of the church. So they had thousands of people that heard the story of Jesus, heard the story of Jesus in their own language through the Holy Spirit, and decided to follow Christ. And so they devoted themselves, first and foremost, to the apostles' teachings, to the words of Jesus. The second thing they devoted themselves to was fellowship. 
And it's interesting because it's just one little word in this, but it means so much. This word fellowship um, is all over the New Testament, and it talks more and more about what fellowship means in this next verse. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And the words that they use here are um, like a continuous past action. It's called the imperfect. And the idea is that it's not one time. They didn't one time sell everything that they had and have like a common budget that they worked from as believers. No, time and time again, when a need came up in their community, they would say, okay, how are we going to meet this need? They would sell what they would need to sell, and they would meet somebody's need in their midst. And when it talks about that they shared everything in common, sometimes we lump those two things together, but that actually means more of like their mindset was in common. They shared the same mindset, the furthering of the gospel, the devotion to Christ. They shared that mindset in their community. They were together and they had everything in common. They shared this mindset. And because of that mindset, because of their devotion to Christ, they sold property and possessions to make sure that everyone was without need, that everyone in their community had what they needed to have. It's the earliest idea of a benevolence fund. It's the earliest idea that no one in our community should have needs financially or spiritually or emotionally. We want to be that body for one another. And so they sacrificed and gave to the community for the sake of the people who were in need. The next one, the breaking of bread. They broke bread together. They celebrated the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, whatever word you've used for this. They've come to the table together. They repeated the story of the night Jesus died, and they broke bread together and shared in communion. Lastly, they joined together in prayer and in praise. It says, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. When was the last time that you could say, you enjoyed the favor of all people around you. This was the model that the early church had. They were together a lot. When you gather around the table a lot, you learn about each other's everyday lives. You know, that's how you know when somebody has a need, is when you're together, when you're talking about life. If you're breaking bread at the table every day, you know what's going on in the people around you's lives. And that was the community that they had in the early church. I'm imagining that they're together. They're sharing the ups and downs of their day, the things that went well, the things that didn't go well. They foresaw needs that were coming because they knew what was happening in one another's lives. Now, that's not to say they did it perfectly. We wouldn't have the rest of the New Testament if they did it perfectly, right? Paul wrote letters upon letters to the communities all around that he started, helping them to see the vision that he wanted them to see. So we're going to look at, real quickly, three places in Scripture. There are tons more, but here are three. So first is Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. 
It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. James 3 says, real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings. Not hot one day, cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that give, lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Lastly, Galatians 6 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong in the family of believers. Why is it that in the early church, we spilled so much ink on talking about how to get along with one another? Why is it? Because it's hard, right? But here's the other thing that, that this is why we did it, because Jesus told us to. John 13, verses 34 through 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The night before he died, he washed his disciples' feet and he, feet and he said these words. Two chapters later, he says it again. In almost the same way, he says, this is my command, love one another. Jesus knew that the world in front of the, his first followers all the way through the history of time, that the world in front of them was going to be hard. Jesus also knew that their love for one another would spur them on that their love for one another would remind them of the love of Christ. That sometimes we need people in our lives that are flesh and bone, that are living alongside of us, telling us that they are in our corner, that they love us and that they encourage us through life. Jesus knew that that's what we needed to survive. He also knew that that was going to be the thing that set us apart from the rest of the world that that was going to be the thing that when other people experienced it would make them go, yeah, I want some of that. They didn't ever really say, in order to love one another, you have to agree on every single thing. All the places where it talks about having one mindset, having the same spirit, it didn't necessarily mean every single thing in your world you have to agree on. What they were saying was what you have to agree on is that Jesus is Lord, that he came to this earth, that he died on a cross, that he was resurrected for you. You are unified by the Spirit. You are unified by who God is. This kingdom of God that we are part of draws people in, and Jesus knew that. That's why he gave this commandment over and over again. That's why he spent his ministry years teaching his disciples how to love. Jesus knew that we would need that reminder. 
When we say that we want a church that has compelling Christian community, this is what makes it compelling. This is what draws us in. It's not about being cool. It's not about being flashy. It's about the love of Christ. That's what compels us. That's what draws us in, this love for one another that defies the standards of the world. And especially in our world today, that's the love that we need to have in our world. The love that unifies people across generational lines, across ethnic lines, across gender lines, the unifying love of Christ that says that all people deserve dignity, all people deserve honor. That's what we are looking for, an authentic Christian community. That's what compels people in. Paul writes about this again in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Right after this comes this hymn about Jesus, about who Jesus was, that he humbled himself even though he was God. He humbled himself to the position of a servant for his disciples. That's the example that we have, and that is what Paul is trying to tell us. This is what will compel people to be a part of our community, because like I said, you can have community outside of the church. I did it for 15 years. I know that you can have community elsewhere, but you are not going to have compelling Christian community unless you choose it unless you choose to show up with one another in your lives. So when we look at who we are as a church, who we, big church, big C church, who we are in the world, we need to have these four things in our lives as well. So let's remind ourselves of what it looks like. We need to persevere in our understanding of God's word. We need to devote ourselves to the teaching of God. We need to sit alongside of one another with the Bible. We need to read it together. We need to talk about what it means to us, where it has taken us over and over and over again. That's the centrality of the word of God. We need to have fellowship. Fellowship is the hardest one to nail down. What does it exactly mean to have fellowship? And I would argue that you probably just, like, you feel it, right? When you're in this building, when you're with the people that you worship alongside of, you feel this connection to one another. I see it all over our church. I see it all over our groups that serve together, that come together, that share their lives together. You feel this fellowship, this spiritual family, that's who we strive to be here at Roseville Covenant, a spiritual family for one another. 
We need to break bread together. We need to be here on Sunday mornings with one another and have this time of fellowship. Like the writer of Hebrews said, some people have decided that Sunday morning, that the worship time is not important to them. We need to be here together. We need to break bread together. We need to worship together. We need to be here. And we need to pray together. We need to talk about what's going on in our lives. We need to open up to one another and to share the things that are happening, the ups, the downs. We need to pray together and praise together. We need to remember to pray for our leadership. We need to remember to pray for one another throughout the week. We need to be in prayer together. Now, because this is my Sunday to preach, and it is, I am the youth pastor, you can't get away without a story about our youth ministry, right? So I'm going to throw up a picture. Usually I talk about our youth. This morning I'm going to talk about our leaders. These are our Wednesday night leaders, and I really hope that you can kind of see the look on David Carlson's face all the way on the left. Every time I ask for a leader picture, that's what I get. Every single time. It's great. I love it. So in case you don't know some of these people, starting from the left, that's David Carlson. Next to him is Jackie Peeper. And then that's me in the middle. Hopefully you know what I look like. Um, The next one is Ben Mayo. And then the one all the way on the end is Larissa Beck. Sometimes she serves up here. And I don't have a picture of our Sunday school leaders. And I am so sorry that I don't have pictures of you guys. But the other, our Sunday school leaders are Dean Erickson. He teaches our confirmation class. And Dave and Chris Swenson teach our high school Sunday school class. And these leaders, friends, these leaders are living out Acts 2 with our students. They are showing up week after week. They are praying for our students. They are teaching our students. They are giving our students the ability to just come completely who they are. And on Wednesday nights especially, when I watch our students walk in the room... I watch them greeted by their Sunday school teachers. I watch them walk through the dinner line and chat with the women and the men that are serving them dinner. I watch them sit around the table and talk about their day, talk about the tests, talk about the sports, talk about whatever happened at lunch today or whatever is going on. We go into the other room, we worship together, and then they go out into small groups. And in our new... um, Because of the space things that we've had to work around, we go into small groups first, and then I tell them, if you want to play a game, you have to come out of small groups in time to play a game. Two times out of three, we never made it to the game. So far, we've only had three weeks. But so far, they get into their small groups, and they start talking about life, and they start diving into the lesson, and they just can't stop talking enough to come back and play a game. And that, if you know anything about youth ministry, is a huge success that their hope is to be together and to talk through life together, and that our leaders, all of our leaders, get to be that alongside of them. We are giving our students spiritual family here at Roseville Covenant, and I just can't brag about it enough. So if you want more stories, let's chat after service. I will tell you a thousand stories. Most of them I've gotten okay to tell you. No, I'm just kidding. I won't tell you anything I'm not allowed to tell you. Um, Our students are having this spiritual family. It will compel them to continue on in their ministry or in their time at church. And my hope is that here at Roseville Covenant, that is the spiritual family that we are providing for everyone that walks in the door. 
So this morning, as we come to the table, as we come to pray with one another, my question for you is this. What is the part of this formula for Christian community that's lacking in your life? Where do you need to step in a little deeper in Christian community? Maybe you need to join a Bible study. Maybe you need to start reading the word alongside of other people and talking about what it means for your life. Maybe you just need some community and you need some people in your life that is going to check in on you and make sure that everything's going okay. Maybe it's a Sunday morning attendance thing or breaking bread together. Maybe it's prayer. Whatever it is this morning, I pray that you would just really take some time with Jesus. I pray that you would allow Jesus to point to the areas of your life that you really need to dive a little bit deeper into Christian community. We've got a great community here. We have people that want to walk alongside of you. So where in your walk with Jesus do you need to dive a little bit deeper into community? We're going to transition now to the table, and it looks a little bit different set up this morning, and it's intentional. Here's why. We want to create some space for community today. So here's how this is going to work. I'm going to give you the instructions first. You'll come to the table. You'll gather around the table as many people as you can fit around the table. Pastors Mark and Colleen and I will be at each of the table, and we will start you off with the bread and the cup. And then around the circle, you will serve one another. Don't worry, the words are written down on the table in case you forget them. They'll also be up on the screen. So you'll take the bread and the cup, you'll turn to your neighbor, and you will say, this is the body and blood of Christ shed for you. Or some variation of that that you have grown up with. And once you are done at the table, one of the other things that you can do is you can join together in prayer. We have these candles on stand. There's one down here, one in the bell choir um, hallway, and one over here. You can go to one of those places, and we will have praying elders that will pray for you, or you can grab a friend and walk over there and pray together, just you and your community, whatever that needs to look like. You can also do that in your seats. If you want to just turn with the people that are around you or turn with your community and pray for one another, Spend some time this morning breaking the bread with one another and praying for one another. Even if it means you have to cross the room to pray with somebody that you see across the room that you would love to pray with. That's how we're going to do communion this morning. We really wanted this to be a full community event, so we're going to have some music playing over the speakers in the background so that everyone can participate at the tables or in the prayer And then when we're done, we'll come back together and our choir will sing um, their song for us one more time. Sing it over us as a sort of benediction for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples around and he knew that life was going to get harder for them when he wasn't physically with them. So he gave them something to do together. He took the bread and he broke it And he blessed it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Likewise, he took the cup, 
he blessed it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my blood shed for you, a new covenant between you and God. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. For every time you break the bread and you take the cup, you are proclaiming the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Friends, take this time between you and Jesus and those around you. Would you pray with me as we enter into communion? Lord, we thank you. You have given us everything that we need for this journey. You have given us the word. You have given us your son. You have given us one another. As we come to the table today, may we remember these things. May we remember the sacrifice that you gave for us. And may we walk in the light with one another. Your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.